here. <laughs> have some visitors with us today. Glad to have Philip and Linda visiting here. Newly transplanted to the west side. And Mallory is here from, oh, from Washington, D.C. with her grandparents. Glad to have you with us. Well, Tim, you ruined the surprise. You told them what the sermon was about. I was going to spring it on them. Since I told them we were going to, I preached the first Sunday on spring and then summer, then autumn, and I was going to leave it to the last to spring it on them, but maybe some of them figured out we were talking about winter. The winter. Oh, but I would be remiss if I didn't thank Jan for such a great time yesterday. It was, I had closer to 500. I guess there were 70, but I preachers counted 500 people there yesterday. It was a great time. The, the hayride through the, through the forest, just, it, it's good for what ails you. It really is. It really is. And uh, thanks to all of those who helped make it a success, uh, uh, Jeremy and Aaron and families for setting all that up. And Tim, Tim, where's Tim Jane? Oh, there's Tim. Tim won the, uh, the contest for the chili yesterday. Well done. Well done. And it was good. It was good. It is the autumn of the year, and winter is just around the corner. One of the poet laureates the philosopher of duct tape, Red Green, I don't know how many are familiar with that poet, as he wrote about his camping excursions in the winter. The poem was entitled, The Winter of My Discount Tent. It'll sink in what that means. <laughs> I love winter. Have, I, have you caught on to that in the years that we've been here? I just love winter. It is just... Both Janine and I love it. I love to just sit inside and watch Janine shovel the driveway. It is, just warms me up to watch her. And she, she, does, it, she does it so well, it's incrementally. It's a very good job of this. I have heard tell of people who, in the autumn of the year, actually put away their tools from summer, make sure they're all put away and cleaned up, and... They have their snowblowers and shovels all prepared for winter. I've heard rumors of this. And uh, if there's anyone here that does that, let me know, and I'd like you to come over and get some of my stuff ready for the winter. Because it will be on top of us in just a moment's time. And I have my own predictions as far as what the winter is going to be like, uh, but I'm not going to give it away until next May, is what my prediction was. Do your best to come before winter. In the Bible, if you know anything of the customs and how they describe things, there's really two seasons, even though it mentions four. And we're so fortunate to live in Michigan where we do have the four seasons. But there really are two seasons. There is summer and winter. And they describe things as being early rains and late rains, but... They speak in terms of the summer and winter, and Paul is beckoning to Timothy to come before winter, and there are reasons why he is beckoning him to do that, which we will get to shortly. For those who have the outline from the 
bulletin. I have it divided into three parts today, a good three-part sermon. The first part is how much time. How much time do you have and how much time do you have for others? Time. I love talking about time. It's a great subject. I go back to Solomon's writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. When I read this, people who perhaps aren't as familiar with the Bible say, I recognize that. That was a song from somewhere. That Yes, Pete Seeger wrote that and, the, and others sang it. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. He captures the idea that there really is an appointed time for everything. We know that there's an appointed time for birth and death. No matter how much we, we try to fight against it, we know that those are appointed times. A time for war and a time for peace. Those times of which, as we drove over Jan's field and looked at there was a time to plant, and now there's a time to harvest. Those appointed times. You know that they are there, and we know that we must adhere to them. A season and a time for every matter under heaven. And there is a season for everything. There's a slight difference when you talk of, of a time and a season. As we look into those, we won't go that deep into it. But as we talk about things that there is a, a season for in our lives, that we you and I, there are things that are appointed around us in the world, but there are things that are within our power, that season that we have appointed for us. We speak of a time to refrain, a time to keep silent, and a time to refrain from embracing. But there's also a time for us to act. There's a time for us to speak. There's a time for us to embrace. And for you and I, we learn those times. No matter how clumsy we may be, we eventually discover that there indeed is a time for these things in our life. And the older it gets, it seems as though we become either more clumsy and awkward with it, or we really do learn those things within our life of of how it is that we come to those appointed seasons and know when it's a time to speak and a time to remain silent. For guys, I've heard it's particularly hard. I've heard that. I've heard rumors that it's tough for us guys to know those things. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And we begin to read people and know it when we look at them, that we can sense that something is going on in their lives. And when we become tender of heart, 
and in touch with our emotions and others, we know that that appointed time for us, that it is good for us to meet the needs of other people. Having looked at that time, we go back to our passage today in 2 Timothy. Paul is known to have written 13 of the New Testament letters or books, epistles as we call them. 14 if you count Hebrews, but we won't go into that controversy now. But of the 13 that Timothy writes, this is thought to be the very last letter that he has written. And you really get that sense as you come through chapter 3 and into chapter 4 of Paul has that feeling that his time has come to an end. And it's a time for him to, to wrap up things. I don't know if that really encapsulates it, but Paul realizing that his time has come. He writes in other letters, I have fought the good fight. He has done his best. He has done what he has been given to do. You think of in Acts chapter 8 at the end of that, and it speaks of a young man who was holding the cloaks there as they were stoning Stephen. The end of chapter 7, I may have said chapter 8. But it talks about this young man, Saul, holding those cloaks. And now he comes to the end and he talks of himself as an old man. How many years have transpired or expired? perhaps three decades or more. Now he speaks of himself as an old man, that he has run his race. And we think, well, how much time do we have? How much time do we have? We look in, in the context of things that we have that are appointed for us each day. We may have our, our Franklin planner, may list the things that I have to do today. These things are all listed off and they're delineated according to their importance. I know I have this, 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 and that to do. And I think of, of putting those together. And the time that I take to think of others. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It is interesting that Demas is listed three times. Paul lists him as one of his fellow laborers the first time. And in chronological order, he mentions Demas as just in passing the second time. But here it says, for Demas, in love with this present world. Try as I might to put a good spin on this, I can't. For what does it mean that Demas is in love with this present world? For Paul here is in his last days and he's beckoning for labors in the kingdom for this. But Demas, well, he may be what Jesus described in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. I would rather have heard this description of Demas the very first time, and the last time and Paul mentions him as being his fellow worker. Because that's how Paul describes John Mark. 
when John Mark was going to go on the second missionary journey. You recall that? Paul says, I don't think we should take him because he deserted them the first time. But then we read towards the end of Paul's life that he considers John Mark to be one of his fellow laborers. So he had turned, but not like Demas. Demas in love with this present world. Jesus spoke another parable about being in love with this present age and not in a good light. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 15, Jesus tells a parable of the farmer who was going to tear down barns and build new ones. But the context is found beginning in verse 15. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. It is not rich toward God. Sandwiched in that verse 15 and verse 21 is the parable, but take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he finishes it by saying, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How unfortunate for Demas that the last things that we shall know about him is that he was in love with this present world, to the exclusion of that world that awaits us for the rewards that are laid up for us. I think of those in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it, it says that Paul had set his face toward Jerusalem. It's really telling us that he is beginning that final journey for the fate that awaits him in the crucifixion. And as he gets ready to go, we begin in verse 57 of Luke chapter 9. A man comes up and says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Paul so counted on those to help him. But Demas was in love with this present world. Each of those excuses, I think, I believe, sounds like something I have used in the past. But at this point, Jesus knows that there is an appointed time for those that await him in Jerusalem. And those who are going to follow are going to follow him 
then. And there is no waiting. But Paul makes mentions in verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Crescens and Titus. He says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Those people that were laboring with Paul, they have their work to do. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Proverbs 17.17, 17, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Those people that Paul could count on. And though Crescens and Titus have gone on to their work, he considers them to be his fellow laborers. As we come down to verse 11, where it says that Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. How much time for things that are appointed? And how much time do we have? And how much time, as we come down to our final point, how much time do we have for others? Paul begins this discourse in verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. I can almost hear him say, put aside whatever you're doing now and do your best to come to me soon. As we come down to verse 21, do your best to come before winter. We have some that are getting ready to head to the south before winter sets in. No, I won't mention any names, will I? <laughs> and it seems as though there's a lot of time left in this season before winter comes. But it will be here soon. And we think in terms of the, of the century that we live in, of how quick we can go from one spot to another. But now, think in terms of what Paul is writing here in his last letter. For Timothy, if he is across the pond, as we say, across the Mediterranean, for he must get on those shipping lanes soon. If we remember Paul's journey in the book of Acts, when Paul had said, you shouldn't make this journey, because they talked about there was a season. The season for shipping had come to an end. Paul knows this. And he knows that if Timothy does not make haste to get on board those ships, whatever it is that he has to make that journey on, that he will miss it. And Paul knows that his time is coming to an end. Come before winter. Before time and opportunity are no more. Time and opportunity. And I wonder if I make that, that Venn diagram and those big circles and, and where time and opportunity overlap, that little space, that little sliver of space, because it seems as though we have lots of time over here. 
And we have lots of opportunity here. But where those two intersect, time and opportunity. Come to me soon. Come before winter. Come before those time and opportunity are no more. You think of those two proverbs that talk of a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That was Timothy. Paul calls Timothy his dear child in the faith. We go back earlier in the book of Acts and we read when Timothy first started to go with Paul and was with him on all of his journeys. And Paul had entrusted Timothy to to be sent to different areas to take care of business that needed to be done. But now he beckons him to come. Come before winter. And I think in terms, bigger terms, than simply speaking of the seasons that await us for the cold. I think of winter in terms of the end of our life, come before time and opportunity. And I wonder in all of those lists that we have made throughout our life, if we were to go back for those things that we have kept track of, you know, this is what I had planned to do with my life for the Lord. Have you done it? This is what I had planned to labor in the kingdom to do. Have you done it? Have you taken the time while time is still here, while opportunities are still fresh and ready? Because there will come a time when time shall be no more, when opportunities are no longer there. And those things that we had planned, where are they now? Do your best to come to me soon. Paul knew wherein he spoke. He knew that his life was coming rapidly to an end. I turn the page, and that's the end of the letter. Did Timothy ever make it to see Paul? We don't know. We don't know. Paul wrote that he truly wanted him to come. But did Timothy make that effort to be there? We don't know. But within that letter is enough to urge us for whatever opportunities and time that we have left, take them to do the things that are needful. Is there someone that you have not visited? Is there someone that you said, I'm going to call them one of these days? I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Winter is coming. And the opportunities may not be there for us. I plead with you as the lesson is now yours to take the time and make the opportunity 
while time and opportunity are with us today. Perhaps the greatest statement that we can make with our life is to say, I'm not waiting any longer to become a Christian. Today is that day. Don't say, one of these days. It seems to me that there was a man who said, some more convenient time. You recognize that passage from the book of Acts? Do you think in such a short time you could convince me to be a Christian? We never heard what became of that man, whether he ever made that choice to become a disciple. And I hope today, before this day is over, if you have not taken those steps to become a child of God, that you will make them this day. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I'm willing to turn from the old life and turn towards Christ. To repent of the old life. To confess that He is Lord, Master, and King. And to be baptized and walk in newness of life. This day. Time and opportunity are on your side right now. But I cannot make that assurance it will be there tomorrow. Whatever your need is, make it known as together we stand and sing.